0: All right. well glad that you're here tonight. Hope you have your Bible. If you don't, the Scripture should be up on the screen or there's a few Bibles in the pews here and there. I hope you can join us there in Psalm 102 tonight. In my Bible, there's a little subheading under the title there that says, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and poureth out his complaint before the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it would be, or if we should, or the idea of complaining to the Lord. And uh, often we think of complaining as a negative thing, and often it is because it's with a bad attitude. Uh, but sometimes we have these struggles, and, and they're just boiling up inside of us, and we're not sure what to do with them. And here in Psalm 102, I think there's a, an example here to follow, not to say that we should have a complaining, murmuring spirit in any way but that when we are struggling, when we are facing difficulty, it is okay and we actually should cry out to the Lord about those things. God did not create us to go through the things of this life and struggles on our own. Uh, The struggles are, of course, because of sin and of the difficulties around us and, and sin inside of us, but God did not then leave us here to fend for ourselves. And sometimes we try to do that. We try to do our own thing, our own way. And instead of crying out to the Lord as we should, we tend to internalize and get frustrated and discouraged and depressed. And uh, I think in this psalm, there's some wonderful things. I've titled this tonight, Cares Turn to Confidence and Courage in the Lord. I think you could even continue that on by saying, Cares Turn to Confidence and Courage to Continue in the Lord. And you'll see where all those Words come to bear in Psalm 102. I'd like to begin by reading verses 1 through 11. The psalmist here is crying out to God and he says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. Hide not thy face from me in the day when I am in trouble. Incline thine ear unto me. In the day when I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke and my bones are burned as an hearth. My heart is smitten and withereth, withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. Now, we live not too far from Galveston, from the beach, and, and uh, it, but if you've traveled out to the wilderness, out to the desert somewhere, or rocky places out in the mountains, chances are you don't see many pelicans flying around. He compares himself here. He says, I'm like an owl of the desert, this bird of prey that's out in the desert looking for food, and there's no food to be found. He says, I watch and him as a sparrow alone upon the housetop. Clearly, this psalmist was not an introvert, He didn't like being by himself. He had nobody to sing with. And here he is, the sparrow alone on the housetop. He said, Mine enemies reproach me all the day, and they that are mad against me are sworn against me. For I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of thine indignation and thy wrath. For thou hast lifted me up and cast me down. What a cry to God to say, God, you've lifted me up and you've cast me down. And sometimes that is how we feel. He says, my days are like a shadow that declineth. It's like a shadow that's going down, that's getting longer as the sun begins to set. He says, and I am withered like grass. I think in these first 11 verses, we see this cry to God about the struggles of life. As the psalmist cries out to God about all of his struggles. He says, I'm in trouble in verse 2. In verse number 3, he says, my days are consumed like smoke. My bones are burned as an earth, as an hearth." It's like my time is being wasted. Everything I'm doing doesn't seem to matter. It's just going away like smoke. He talks about his physical and emotional pain in verses 3 through 5. He says there in 3, that he's being consumed like smoke, his bones are burned. He says his heart is smitten, he's withered like the grass, so much so, notice at the end of verse 4, so that I forget to eat my bread. This psalmist is writing from a place of deep sorrow. Amen. So sad that he can't even eat. He forgets to eat because he's so sad. Have you ever felt so upset about something that you didn't want to eat? Your t- stomach is so turned in knots that nothing sounds good and no food satisfies, this is the place that the writer of this psalm finds himself in. He says in verse 5, By reason of the voice of my groaning, my bones cleave to my skin. He, he's lost weight. His bones are now poking out of his skin. You can see him. He's, he looks sick. He's unhealthy because of the struggle that he's going through. He's like this bird, this pelican in the wilderness that's out there, completely out of his place where he's supposed to be. It's like being in a place where we have no one to care for us. Or even in an unfruitful place. Sometimes we find ourselves in places like that in life where it just seems like nothing I'm doing is bringing any value. Verse 7, I think as he talks about this sparrow alone upon the housetop, I wrote it simply, I have no friends. The Bible talks about several prophets that felt that way. Elijah, he felt very alone, and even Elisha after him had times like that. Jesus at times was alone, even when those who should have been closest to him couldn't stay and watch and pray with him. This is a great struggle here. He says in verse 8, he speaks about how his enemies are against him. He talks about his sorrow in verse 9, and then in verse 10, he talks about facing God's judgment. God, because of your wrath, you've lifted me up and then cast me down. He talks about how his life is coming to an end. This is an individual who's riding out of, pl- out of a place of deep struggle, who is looked at life and found it to be unfruitful in many ways and found it to be empty and a struggle. And sometimes we can find ourselves in that kind of place in our life. But I'm thankful that the psalm doesn't end there. Because while I believe it's helpful and healthy even to cry out to God, it's clearly biblical to do so in our struggle, you notice in the next several verses, as the psalmist then reminds himself of the character of God. It's one thing to just share our problems with somebody. It's another thing to be able to share our problems with somebody who has the ability, God's divine attributes, to be able to bring something to bear, bring an impact upon our problems. To help us to solve it, to fix it. Notice in verse twelve, he speaks of his confidence in God because of His divine attributes. That's the second point tonight. He says in verse twelve, "But Thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever." Do you see the contrast there between verse eleven, how he says, "I'm like a shadow that declines, and I'm withered like grass," but Thou, O Lord endure forever. I love those contrasts in Scripture, those transition points where he says, "All these problems, but thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever. Amen. God will last forever. He is everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. He is God. He has no beginning. He has no ending. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, and the end. And We can take great comfort and have great confidence in a God who is everlasting. So no matter what kind of burden you may be bearing tonight or what kind of burden you may bear in the future, you can take it to the Lord. Our Lord, our God, shall endure forever. And then he says, and thy remembrance unto all generations. I wrote it this way, God is everlasting and God will never be forgotten. There are people that would like to forget him, but the truth of who God is will never be forgotten. It will always last because God will always last. He's not just something to remember that happened in the past like a good fond memory of something that happened years ago rather he is present with us today and just like we can look back at God's word and say wow look at how God worked in the past I would say that God's remembrance is passed on down to future generations so that even today we can take confidence in the Lord our God just like the children of Israel could take confidence in him thousands of years ago we can have the same confidence in him today Verse 13, he says this, Thou shalt arise, it's a good word, and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her, yea, the set time is come. Now think about this, what the psalmist is writing, because here he's writing many years before the promised Messiah has come before the kingdom is established in Zion, and that kingdom still has yet to be fully established, but the Jews were looking forward to that day when the promised Messiah would come. And as this psalmist is writing, he has a confidence in the future and confidence in God who would arise. And he says, you will have mercy upon Zion. You will bring your mercy, your care to us. Notice he says, for the time to favor her, Yea, the set time is come. There is a time that God has in His mind of when He will right all wrongs, when Jesus will return, when He will set up His kingdom and rule and reign. God knows all of that. In God's mind, it's as if it was already done because He's God. He can take great confidence, and that's what the psalmist here is taking, great confidence in the God who had a set time, who had a plan, and He would fulfill His plan. See, when we have plans, we don't really know for sure if those plans will come to pass. But when God has a plan, when God has a set time, God's plans always come to pass. His set times are always completed. And we can see that throughout Scripture, and then we have faith because of that and because of who God is, that it will continue to be so until, until through all of eternity, right? Because God's plans aren't like our plans. His ways are not our, like our ways. His Ways, the Bible says, are past finding out. When the Lord shall have mercy upon Zion. Notice in verse 14, it says, For thy servants take pleasure in her stones and favor the dust thereof. He's referring to how the children of Israel took great care there of the land, that promised land that God had given them, this They're referring to Mount Zion and all the special things that were going to take place around this and all the promises that God had made to his children. Now they valued this place. He says then in verse 15, So the heathen shall fear the name of the Lord, and all the kings of the earth thy glory. Here this psalmist is taking confidence or hope in something that still to this day has not yet come to pass. I mean, could we say that all the heathen fear the name of the Lord today? No. Could we say that all the kings of the earth are glorying in the Lord? No. But he's saying it will come. This is one of those Psalms that is looking way forward. But as he's looking forward, it's confidence as if it has already come to pass. And I think that's one of those things that as a Christian, we must learn to grow in our faith to that place that We can have confidence in God's future plans and confidence in God's future abilities and confidence in God's future provision. So it gives us confidence to live right here in the here and now where we are today, even though we're not sure when it's all going to happen, but we know it will because God said it will. We're not sure how it's all going to work out, but we know it will because God said it will. We're not sure when the Lord's coming back, but we know he will because God says he will. And living in that confidence, in a sense, as if it had already happened because before God, it is already settled. It's forever settled, just like your salvation is in heaven. When God says it, it will take place. And then this comes back to Himself a bit here in verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 16. When the Lord shall build up Zion... He shall appear in his glory. There's the confidence. Verse 17. He will regard the prayer of the destitute. Because even though we read about all these great things that God is doing and all these things that God will do, the reality is, at times in our life, or at clearly in this psalmist' life, he felt destitute. He was empty. He had nothing. So what do we do when we're destitute? What do we do when we're empty? He says, he will regard the prayer of the destitute. To regard something means to give it a place of value or a place of importance. He says, and he will not despise and not despise their prayer. God loves to hear the prayers of his children. The prayers of God's saints are precious to him. He wants to hear our prayer. I was thinking about this earlier today as I had the opportunity to speak to some junior high and high schoolers in a school chapel and thinking about prayer and Bible reading and how those two very basic things in our Christian walk, and yet they're too often neglected things for many people. And I think sometimes the excuses can be made well, it's boring, I don't have time. Or, I don't understand everything I'm reading. Or, well, I kind of already know what it says. Or the excuse in prayer might be, well, you know, I I don't really have time. Or, God already knows everything anyway, so why should I pray to Him about it? Because He already knows about it. Now, I'm not just speaking about those imaginary people out there that make those excuses. I've made some of those excuses along the way and probably each one here as well, at some point in your life. I'm thankful I didn't make those excuses today, don't get me wrong, and and I haven't made those excuses lately, but those are the kind of things that creep up in our life, don't they? Why? Because we love to sort of have a spiritual life that's just handed to us, right? A relationship that someone else does all the work, but that's not what a relationship is about. A relationship is, is too people or two individuals coming together and both putting effort into it to make that relationship possible a church is a body of people and the body requires the work of all the different parts for the body to work a marriage is a is a union between a a man and a woman a husband and wife and it requires the effort on both sides for that marriage to work and glorify god as it should a relationship with god the wonderful thing about it god did come to us he came to us when we couldn't come to Him. God commendeth His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But just because God has done all the work to save us and He does all the work to keep us and He does all the work to care for us and love us doesn't mean that He doesn't want anything from us. In fact, He's asked our, our everything we have. Romans 12:1 says that he beseeches us by the mercies of God that we present our bodies a living sacrifice. People think that the Christian life or that a relationship with God is all just about what God does for us. And if it wasn't for what God does for us, there would be no Christian life. But once we have it, it still is about what God does for us, but then it's an opportunity for us to give our lives back to Him as a sacrifice. He wants to hear our prayer. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. Then this is passed down. You see it in verse 18. This shall be written for the generation to come, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. Here he is looking out into the future again. God, you're going to hear my prayer. I'm destitute. You'll hear the prayers of the destitute. You will regard my prayer when I'm struggling he says, and this will be written down for the generation to come. You and I are part of that generation, aren't we? Yes. It's been written down for us. Isn't that a blessing that God recorded this in His Word so that we could come together on December 4, 2019 and read it here tonight and hopefully be encouraged by it and challenged by it in our personal relationship with God? He said, and the people which shall be created shall praise God. The Lord. I think that's one of the wonderful things about serving God and about leading somebody to Christ, and then thinking about the generational impact that that could have as they lead somebody else to Christ, lead their children to Christ, and disciple them, and just that process carrying on, and thinking how we are a product, if you will, of people who have gone on before us and the generations before us, and how if we are faithful to what God has called us to do, we have the opportunity to pass that same truth down to future generations. Yes, we've made mistakes. Yes, we may have, fa- have failures in our life. Yes, there may be people that we haven't done the job that we should have done, but it's not too late to get started passing it down to future generations. And he talks about how his word and the truth of this psalm even would be written down and passed down to the generations to come, so that, he said, and the people which shall be created shall praise the Lord. They can praise the Lord too for the same reason that we praise Him. So how did God look down? He says, for He hath looked down from the height of His sanctuary. From heaven did the Lord behold the earth. God sees everything. To hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem when the people are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. I've already preached through these verses, but I wrote down these things as I was thinking about it. God's everlasting. God will never be forgotten. God will have mercy. God will bring blessings in His time. God will bring judgment upon the heathen. God will be glorified. God will hear our prayers God sees us, God hears us, God releases us from bondage, and God will be praised as His people serve Him. He has great confidence in God because of His divine attributes. So yes, there are many cares of this world. And we can cry out to God in our time of struggle. And then we must remind ourselves and be confident in who God is and what God has done and what God will do. The final few verses of the chapter, verses 23 through 28, I think we see the psalmist then demonstrating a courage to continue in spite of the difficult times. He he goes back to his struggle. Look at verse 23, he weakened my strength in the way. He shortened my days. So, so if God's in charge of your life, is He the one that gives you long life or gives you short life? I guess He is in charge of that. There's a, His prayer to Him. He says in verse 24, I said, Oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. God, don't take me home prematurely. I'm just now enjoying life. It's almost as if I'm right in the middle of it. Everything's good. God, don't take me away right now. I don't know what his thoughts were. I don't know what he was struggling with, but I know how I think about this. I remember growing up as a teenager and saying, Lord, I want you to come back soon, but don't come back until I at least get married. (laughs) God, I want you to come back soon, but it'd be really fun to be a dad. God, I want you to come back soon, but I can't wait to be a grandpa. God, come back soon, but you know I really have some plans first that I want to accomplish. Or here, this psalmist, perhaps he's sick. It sounds like that from the earlier part as he talks about he can't even eat and his bones are cleaving to his skin and all of this. God, don't take me home. I'm not ready yet. I'm right in the middle of my days. We have big plans. We have a lot of things we're going to get done. Listen, God will take us home when He's ready to take us home. And when He's ready to do it, it's absolutely the right time. That's hard to have confidence in, isn't it? But if we understand those previous verses about God's goodness and His mercy and His love and how he, He's everlasting and His plans are good and all those things, we can trust even when we face those, as the psalmist said in back in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is with us. He says here, Lord, God, don't take me away in the midst of my days. But then he comes right back to it. Thy years are throughout all generations. God, you may take me home right in the prime of life, so to speak. But God, you are throughout all generations. God has no beginning, no end. Of old thou hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. God, you've made everything. So who am I to question what you're doing and what your plan is? They shall perish. What shall perish? He says, he's talking about the heavens and the earth. He says, the heavens and the work of thy hands, they shall perish. But thou shalt endure. He acknowledges, I'm weak. My life is short. God is eternal. God is the creator, and God will make all things new. Did you see it there? Verse 26, they shall perish, thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall all be changed. So the earth's going to get old. The heavens are going to get old. It's all going to break down. It's all going to fall apart. I get online, and I read the news most every day and just see what's going on it's pretty much the same most every day. It's, you know, struggle and difficulty and problems and political fighting and, you know, all the struggle going on and those kind of things. So I just try to read it briefly and then go back and, and do something profitable. I don't want to be stuck just consuming news all the time because it's, it's not very helpful, I don't think, in the, in the grand scheme of things. But I at least want to know generally what's going on in the world. And you often read about about the struggle in the planet and the struggle with the world and, and all of the various things going on. Listen, the Bible's very clear. It's going to pass away. Well, The Bible says that God can just take it off like an old garment and put on a new one. To Him, if He made it, He knows He will destroy it one day and then He will make a new heaven, as Revelation says, and a new earth. So with all of that going on, he comes right back to who God is in verse 27. But thou art the same. The earth is not going to stay the same, but God will stay the same. And thy years shall have no end. The earth and the heavens as God created them do have an end, but God doesn't. The children of thy servants shall continue and their seed shall be established before thee. So we see this progression here in the last five or six verses here of this psalm as he acknowledges his weakness and then he reminds himself once again of God's power, God's eternality, how God can make all things new. And I love how he finishes off in verses 27 and 28. God will never change. God will never have an end. Because of that, verse 28, the children of thy servants shall continue. Continue. In other words, it's not going to end for us either because of who we are in Christ. Because of who God is to us and what He's done for us, we too will continue. And and that's often what the struggles of life are. We come to a place where we go, I just don't don't see any way forward. I'm stuck. I either have a a physical illness that's got me just stuck. I have a financial problem that I'm stuck in. I have a a family issue or a relational issue or someone else. There's just no way forward. I I don't know how I'm ever going to survive to next year. But he says, if you remember who God is, if you walk in his truth and trusting in his ability to carry you through the servant's The children of thy servants, he says, shall continue. Even their descendants and their seed shall be established before thee. That word in the Old Testament, to be established, is such a strong word. Like building a foundation, putting you on on bedrock where you can't be moved. You're, You're stuck to that place and you're planted there like a great strong tower that nothing can move. That's not in our strength. That's not in our ability because we're weak. Our days are like a shadow that's passing away and all those other things he says in the psalm. But he reminds us here of the greatness and the goodness and the wonderful character of our God. So it starts out, A cry to God because of the struggles of life. But then there's a turn to confidence. But thou, O Lord, shalt endure forever. Confidence in God because of His divine attributes. Then he finishes on, that we can take courage to continue in spite of those difficult times. This life is not about um, figuring out necessarily how to live life easier. The Christian life is not about how to always avoid every problem. Rather, it's to understand how to get through the difficulties that we will face in our life and to be able to do it faithfully and joyfully even. Say, how can you do this? This doesn't sound very exciting. Well, it is when you think about what's coming and what God has given us, and and what He's taken us through. And if we look around at our lives and say, wow, look at what God has done just to bring us to this point, is incredibly encouraging. And I hope that in the next few minutes, as we take some time to go to Him in prayer, that we would cry out to Him, because He wants to hear our prayers. And that we would be reminded of who, who the God is that we're actually praying to. We're actually praying to a God who hears and He regards our prayers. He listens and He answers speedily. There's no red tape with God. Well, You have to go through all this and then I'll hear your prayer. No, Confess your sin to God. He hears the, the fervent prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God will hear your prayer and God will answer your prayer. He won't always answer it the way you want Him to answer it, but He'll answer it. And you can take great confidence in that. Keep pressing forward by faith in Him. Lord, help us to take these simple thoughts from this psalm here and be encouraged to walk in faithful obedience with You, to be reminded of who You are and what You've done for us and know that we're not alone. We're not some sparrow out on the roof by ourselves with no one to sing with. Lord, we have You. We have the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, we have the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us and we have a Heavenly Father to guide and direct us Lord, help us to be faithful.